Dr. Henry Bishop had been over at his church studying for the morning, and it was time for lunch, and so he walked across the yard to the parsonage where his wife was going to have a delicious sandwich waiting for him. Springtime, the apple tree that was out front of their house was uh, laden with delicious fruit. He couldn't resist the temptation to reach up and pull one of the uh, apples from the, the tree that appeared to be ripe and to sink his teeth into it, enjoy the sweetness of this, the nectar of what God had, had put there. He paused for a moment and just meditated on what this represented, how for so many years uh, this tree had stood there and very faithfully offered up fruit to him and his family and other people uh, with very little tending, it seemed, that he needed to do very little uh, to maintain this tree. And yet it gave and it gave over and over again. And the tree seemed to be doing so well. And the Lord seemed to use this to be instructive to his own heart of how, what a blessing it was for him and his wife as they had been planted there in this ministry for so many years. And, and they had in their own small way given and given and been fruitful. And what a delight that was for, for him but to realize that it, was, it was not that he and his wife had it in themselves, but their roots were deep in Christ, deep in the Word-centered ministry. And that as such, they were able to produce fruit, much fruit. And the Lord be honored by that. And yet, they received, they felt the greater blessing as he went in and shared his thoughts with his wife over lunch. As they looked out through the window at this tree and reminded of, isn't it a great blessing to be able to bring and offer things to our Lord, though he doesn't need them? As we continue our, our series on the actions of worship this morning. We've covered a lot of different themes in the first quarter of 2021. We've talked about the theme of praising God, glorifying Him, magnifying, rejoicing, fearing, exalting, even shouting, and others. But most of these, they involved basically a verbal communication. They definitely involved some attitude adjustment, the way we think, our hearts in all of this. This morning we're going to be dealing with an, an action of worship that touches also, though it involves that that I just mentioned, it also involves a material involvement or at least some sort of involvement of substance, whatever that might be in a very general way. In the verse that I started off our service with from Psalm 96, the, the verse following it in verse 9, uh, right after verse 8, says we are, that we are exhorted to worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. That's how we're commanded. God is holy. He's beautiful in that holiness. There is a sense also in which we are supposed to be holy as He is holy. Peter reminds us that. And so, as we worship Him in our own uh, manifestations of holiness, there's a beauty of us uh, honoring God as we try to reflect His nature. 
But, but how do we do that? How do we worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness? So it goes back to that verse right before it, verse 8, that I read at the beginning of our service. And part of what that verse says, it involves bringing an offering. We're going to worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. There is a bringing of an offering. Because we're told to bring the offering, the picture is that of something that accompanies us, right? We're bringing it. Something's coming along with us as we approach our worship. We're not coming empty-handed. It's something of substance. The Bible doesn't specifically say what it is. The Hebrew word behind the idea of offering is minkah, which has a root meaning of apportioning. So therefore, it's something that was previously part of our allotment. It's out of our stuff, but now it's to be surrendered. Surrendered to who? To the Lord for His service. God, this this has been in my keeping. I, I give it back to you. When we offer God something, it goes out from us, is the idea. It's not in our keeping anymore. It does not directly return to us. We're not sitting around, you know, waiting for it to come back to us. It's not a yo-yo. It's not the way we're supposed to be thinking about what we offer uh, to the Lord. We shouldn't give it with the expectation of, okay, God, I gave that. Now what are you going to give me? And we have some very wonderful examples in God's Word of worship that involves bringing an offering. The first one even demonstrates that we're going to look at this morning what is right and what is wrong in how we are involved in bringing an offering. Consider the account in the Bible of the first brothers, right? Cain and Abel. And we're not told a lot about their upbringing. We don't know how old they are when we suddenly meet them at this one event in their life. And almost the only thing we really know about them, right, is this one event. And it all surrounds both of them bringing a what? They're bringing an offering to God. Cain and Abel, they are decidedly different when it came to their offerings. We are told in Genesis 4 that God had respect unto Abel's offering, but he did not have that same respect. God did not give that same respect to Cain's offering. Now, the Bible, and we have to be careful about this, the Bible does not record for us that God gave them previous to their bringing the offerings. It doesn't tell us that God gave them in advance guidelines as far as what they were to be presenting when it came to their respective gifts. He may have, but we can't assume that. Now, some theologians, when you read the commentaries or you know the notes in your study Bible, you may see something that suggests that Cain's offering was flawed because... Well, it was the work of his hands. He was a farmer, agriculture. And, uh, and, and yet, when you really stop and think about it, okay, well, how much personal credit can a farmer really take for his crop, after all? Uh, is he still not dependent on the elements that God 
is really in control of for the outcome of what happens. Abel brought something entirely different. He was, uh, and, and by the way, they both brought something that seems to be from their individual occupations, their vocations in life. And the Bible teaches us that. Abel brought a what? He brought a sheep. He brought a lamb. And that came from a flock that he tended, obviously. He was a shepherd. So really, even Abel could be seen to take some personal credit for the quality of the flock. Because, you know, the whole point of having a shepherd is, you know, you're watching over these sheep so that the quality of them is a little better than if they're just running rogue in the wild, right? They're properly fed. You know, they're not eaten by animals. Maybe you're brushing them, you know, so they look nice. You know, all these different things. And sheep need shepherds, and that was what Abel was doing. So, you know, even Abel, to some degree, could take some credit for the quality of the offering that he's bringing to God. So I don't personally believe that that's the main thrust of the problem here. Other scholars suggest that well, it's all about a blood sacrifice being needed. You know, Cain brought produce and, you know, something like that. But, you know, here is a, is a lamb. That's what, you know, Abel brings. But we can't even be sure that that was the case of why God didn't give respect to Cain's offering but did to Abel's. Because under Moses, there, there were sacrifices that did involve the bringing of animals. But guess what? Did God under Moses have sacrifices and offerings that involved bringing of produce? Things that were harvested. And the answer is absolutely. What we do know is what Hebrews 11.4 tells us. That Abel's offering was, quote, more excellent. More excellent. That literally means greater in quantity. If you look at the, the, you know, look it up in your Strong's Concordance, you'll see that that's literally what it means. It's not just about the, the quality, but the quantity. In other words, the offering that, that came at a greater cost to Abel than it did to Cain. What Abel was doing by bringing that lamb cost him more dearly somehow than it did for Cain. Hebrews 11.4 also tells us that, that Abel, as he gave that offering, did something that we're not told that Cain did. He gave it by what? He gave it from his heart, which would be he gave it by faith. Hebrews 11 is that great faith chapter, right? By faith, by faith, by faith. And so Abel is giving it by faith. And so we have to ask ourselves, do we not all live under the same principle that without faith it's impossible to please God? Well, you know, there's certain things I can do in my daily schedule, certain things I can do in my life, and I, I don't need to have faith in, in what I'm doing in those areas. And I would, I would challenge that assertion. I mean, if we, if we want to, uh, in everything we do, bring glory to God then in everything we need to do, it needs to be have a measure of faith. That in our, our internal spirit, and not that we're always just 
thinking directly about it. But there is a measure of dependence upon God rather than I got this myself spirit in what we're doing. I mean, it could be the most menial task that we're doing. It could be taking care of our lawn, right? It could be doing our grocery shopping. Even if you're going to do a Walmart pickup and they're bringing it to you, right? I mean, there's a way that you can do it by faith with a, with a seed of dependence upon God. There's a sense in which you can do it with a sense of exclusion of God. I'll, I'll see you when I get back. might be the giving of our substance in a more sizable way that is going to challenge us with how we are to carry on this action that we're seeing here today. It might, might be that we go beyond what m- many would call reasonable when God calls upon us to bring an offering in some way. The Lord wants something out of us greater quantity than maybe we would rationalize in and of ourselves. But when we get on our knees and pray, and we say, Lord, what would you really have me to give? And I'm not going to predispose my mind to certain stipulations or set limitations. What would you have me to do? That's, that's where faith kicks in, isn't it, folks? See, Abel's action of worship really stretched him beyond his normal means. Can't you see Abel getting very endeared to each member of his flock? I mean, little lambs, you know, they can be kind of cute, you know. And, you know, we're told by Jesus in the Gospel of John that a good shepherd knows his sheep, calls them by name. We have every reason to believe maybe Abel did the same thing. So he was doing more than just bringing a product of his vocation to him it would be like us giving up a very dear domesticated pet out of our home right so in what ways we might ask ourselves today at anchor baptist church is god calling us to be stretched in what ways does he may become and tap on our hearts and on our minds and say, listen, you're doing, you're doing really well, but I want to take you to a, another level of faith. Will you trust me? Do we hold back? Do we kind of recoil? It's tempting to do. It's probably natural in our humanity and our flesh to do that. Or do we say, you know what? God, you are so wonderful. You've not held back from me any good thing that your hand wants me to have. So unreservedly, how can I not just give you what you might be impressing upon my heart to give, whatever that might be? Another key to unraveling why God refused Cain's offering is to look at Cain's attitude when God confronts him in Genesis 4. God knows the end From the beginning, the Bible tells us in Romans, God God knows the outcome before the event ever even starts, is the idea. So wasn't that true when it came to Cain? And so therefore, God knew that Cain had an arrogant heart. See, we we have to read the story 
and look at God's response, thinking how God thinks, not how we think. We think, well, this is how Cain responded. But God had already refused him before Cain responded that way. But guess what? In God's eternal mind, Cain had already responded that way. Rather than humbling himself. And here's, here's the catch, right? Cain did that, but he didn't have to do that. When God pointed out, Cain, you know, you got a problem here with your offering. Cain could have said, Lord, let me fix it. <laughs> Give me a second chance. But Cain didn't do that. Rather than humbling himself when his creator expressed disapproval for what he offered, Cain became incensed. How dare we ever get incensed with God, right? I mean, who are we? That shows the pride of a human heart. When we begin to question and challenge God in any respect, and we can do that, folks. The next thing that happens is Cain hardens himself. That also sometimes happens. How could God accept an offering from the heart of such a man? Such a hardened, arrogant, impudent heart. Does this not point out to us the importance of bringing our offerings with the right attitude as well? It's not just what we bring, but it's how we bring it. We must seek the Lord for what He would have us give. Absolutely. Okay, what is it, Lord? How much, Lord? But it's not when we do it, God, this is what I would like you to have. It's, God, what would you like to have? And that's also at the, the crux of Cain's problem here. Seems to be a spirit of, this, God, this is what I want you to have. This is what I'm giving to you. There is a spirit, even in modern man. Sometimes it's displayed among professing Christians of, well, you know, it sort of doesn't matter what you, what you give God, you know, as long as you're sincere when you do it. Truthfully, the sincere heart would say, God, I'm going to explore. I'm going to seek. I'm going to cry out to you. Lord, what would you have from me? I think all too often we're scared, right? But he, he might ask something that I don't really want to give. And then it comes back to our faith, doesn't it? See, when we purpose in our heart, for what we shall donate to the furtherance of Christ's church. Do we have the spirit of faith like Abel? Or do we have more of the spirit of presumption like Cain? We need to understand that our bringing an offering to God is so much more about what is going on in our heart. I think that's what we have to take away from what we've seen already in the story of Cain and Abel. What is happening here? And that's further seen in another story of the Bible. If you want to turn over to Genesis 22, we see the story of Abraham. And leading up to this, God has, number one, told him and his wife, you're going to have a baby. You're going to do great things through that baby. It's going to be a nation. In fact, not just a nation, but 
but all the nations of the world will ultimately be blessed because of the seed of this promised son. They tried to help God at one point by siring a son through the handmaid Hagar. That was a big mistake. God came back and said, no, you didn't hear me right. I said, you're going to have a baby through Sarah. Stop trying to get in the way. As if God was saying, I've got this. You're just not being patient. And they were very old, right? I mean, I know people lived a long time back then, but the Bible made it very clear. She was well past the custom of women. And that's why she laughed. I mean, it was an impulse laugh when she first heard it. You know, how in the world is this possible? So taking all that into consideration, and now God says, Abraham, that boy that I gave you, you got really attached to him, I want you to make an offering of him. That's what's going on in Genesis 22. What's amazing is the spiritual development and maturity of Abraham at this point, who's called the friend of God. Because we don't really see any wrangling at this point by Abraham with God. Doesn't mean that he isn't having some struggles in his heart along the way he may have. But he gets up, he tells Isaac, who was probably at least an older teenager by this point, and he's got a very, very, very old dad. And some commentators point out if Isaac really didn't want to go, he, he could have easily worked him away out of that, run away. Abraham was not misleading when they went up together to make an offering, and Isaac said, hey, where's, where's the animal? God says, God will provide himself a sacrifice. Good answer, right answer. Abraham then reminds us, what do we have that we have not received? I mean, he's looking at that son, he's thinking, but I wouldn't even have this son if it wasn't for God giving him to me. I mean, if we had, Sarah and I had set out and it's like, okay, we're going to have a child. They didn't have at their disposal all the things that we have today. And people go through artificial insemination today and they still can't sometimes have a baby. The Bible does tell us that God is the one who opens and closes the womb. So what do any of us, not just Abraham, but what do any of us have that we have not received? What we offer to God has been ultimately made possible by God. We already learned that from the offerings of Cain and Abel, right? Where did Abel get those sheep? Where did Cain get that food? Abraham intended to sacrifice his son Isaac on the altar on Mount Moriah, but but God had other plans. A ram was sacrificed instead, as God directs in verse 13 of Genesis 22. And even though Abraham did not sacrifice Isaac. He he doesn't end up sacrificing him. Folks, get this straight. He did offer Isaac nonetheless. That's very, very important. Think about it. God was worshipped by the surrendered spirit in Abraham. Every step up that mountain, there was faith in the heart of Abraham. He had every intention of fully going through with it what God had said. 
The Bible tells us back in Hebrews that he simply believed that since God had promised that he had a plan that led out of Isaac, that therefore God must, after I plunge this knife into my son's chest or slit his throat, however he's going to do it, I guess he's going to raise him from the dead. I mean, talk about faith, right? Abraham's heart made the offering that day. Folks, that's what we have to do. We have to have hearts that make the offering. God is most interested in our heart being willing to give up that which is precious to us. It's not that he has benefited from receiving what we have offered as if he had a need, right? I mean, what was God who is a spirit, the eternal God of the universe, who made all sheep in the first place, what's God going to do with one sheep that Abel's bringing to him? Is he going to take it up into heaven with him and have it by the throne? Not trying to trivialize it, but it's, it's not that God needed that. We, we sometimes, and I say that because we tend to think about our interactions with other human beings when we're thinking about our interactions with God. We offer things to our friends sometimes, don't we? When we offer up something to a friend, like maybe they need a vehicle, and we have a vehicle, and you're like, you know what? I don't even need that vehicle. I'm not going to loan it to you. It's yours. Take it. Keep it. When you're done with it, do whatever you want with it. We give that vehicle to them. Now, two things happen in that situation, right? Is that friend honored by your gesture of giving? They, they are, all right? They're like, wow. I mean, wouldn't you, if someone came and just, here's a vehicle, you know, it's yours, titled it over in your name already and stuff. You'd be very honored, but you're also helped. That vehicle gives you aid. That part doesn't happen when we make an offering to God. We can't help God, Right? So what profit is there to the God of heaven and all of those animals that were destroyed as sacrifices under the tabernacle and the temple sacrifices? And, and we've talked about that. I mean, there's a, a lot of that going on. For that matter, we might even ask ourselves today in 2021, how has God benefited by the offerings that we presently bring, drop checks in that box back there here at Anchor Baptist Church or send it in through some online means. How has God benefited? I, lo- I love children's thinking because they're so innocent and they, they're not afraid to ask these kinds of questions. And I remember when I was a boy being in Sunday school and we were being taught about bringing our offering, you know, and tithing and all these different things. And one of my peers, you raise their hand, I don't remember the exact wording, but the question was, you know, well, if we're giving it to God, you know, why don't we just like toss it up in the air and whatever God wants, he'll keep and what he wants us to have, he'll drop back down for us, right? You know, doesn't work that way. We, we understand that when we give today at the church, it's giving to God through the church, right? If our heart Ah, there we go. We're back at the heart again, aren't we? If our spirit of faith is right, 
So really what it boils down to is you and I have a greater need to give than God has a need to receive. Now what God's interested in receiving isn't your check, isn't your cash, isn't the lambs, isn't the produce. It's the hard attitude that he wants to receive. That's the sweet savor. The ministry of the gospel through the church is sustained when God's people bring offerings and therefore Christ is honored. Whatever you purpose to give, you should see your offering as an action of worship. So, you know, you get together as a married couple and you're like, honey, you know, let's just sit down and let's spend some time praying. I, I, I know we're already giving, giving of our substance, but and it never hurts for us to kind of go back over and pray about this matter. And the Spirit of God just has been kind of, you know, hitting on my heart a little bit here. And let's just pray God would give us some direction about what He would have us to give. And as we do that, God has a, an, a unique way of impressing upon our hearts. Many times my wife and I have prayed independently and then come together and talked and you know, and been just remarkable how the Lord would just sort of impress, not like I hear we hear an audible voice or anything, but just sort of impresses almost the exact same thing. If it's a dollar amount, it's the, you know, it can be almost the exact same dollar amount. We've done that as deacons and pastors as we meet, and we'll say, you know, hey, you know, there's a special offering or there's a special need. We'd like to help out this missionary or whatever, and you know, and well, let's think about and pray about it. And, and I'll get messages and how many times it'll be unanimous that we all are thinking the exact same thing. So when we come and involve ourselves in the ministry of God today in modern time, we're bringing our offerings and it's an action of our worship. Hopefully we don't see it as simply paying the price of admission, right? I mean, you and it's easy for some people to get that idea if they're not taught properly. You know, come to church, the plate is passed, you know. Is that kind of like going to theater and buying a ticket type thing? Hey, therefore, if you, if, you don't, if you don't go to the show, why send the money, right? But that's not what it's about. That shouldn't be our mindset in how we come to worship. It's supporting the ministry, which goes on regardless of whether we're here or not, doesn't it? Missionaries that are still out there laboring. It is a tangible and essential way to honor God as we bring whatever it is He places upon our heart to bring. But it should be done in faith, just as Abraham offered Isaac in faith. That should be the same. There's another story in the Bible we can learn from. King David he is an example when it comes to the right mindset of bringing an offering unto the Lord. And in 2 Samuel 24, if you want to look over there, we see that King David is approaching a specific man by the name of Araunau. He's coming to him because Araunau has a parcel of land. He doesn't have a for sale sign on it, but for whatever reason, David feels led to approach him and ask that he can purchase this parcel of land. 
And David's reasoning is, I want to build an altar to the Lord so I can make a sacrifice. Now, eventually David tells around out, this is why I want to buy your land. Once the man finds out that that's the reason, he wants to donate the land to the king. What a great purpose. I want in on that, right? So, hey, king, you can just have the land. It's for, it's for God. You can just have it. But David insisted that he must purchase the field. I've got to buy it. I can't just take it from you. In 2 Samuel 24, 24, he says this to Aronel, Neither will I offer burnt offerings. There's our word offerings. Neither will I offer burnt offerings unto the Lord my God of that which doth cost me what? Nothing. Nothing. So remember the word offering means apportionment. There is therefore a percentage of everything that we hold on to that needs to go out from us for this to happen. Say, how else would it happen? Well, let's go back to children. Sometimes parents trying to teach their small children the importance of giving. They'll sit down in the chairs, you know, the plate is being passed. And this is, this is not a bad practice, by the way, when you're trying to give the idea to children about the joy of giving to Jesus. So dad reaches in his inside coat pocket like this, pulls out the offering envelope, hands it to Johnny sitting next to him. And Johnny's sitting there. And mom's on this side. She takes the plate and passes it over to dad. And Johnny reaches up and he does what? He puts that envelope right in the plate. And Johnny's beaming like this. I got to give the offering. I have noticed over the years, sometimes there being a little bit of a competition and tussle between siblings of who gets to give the offering. You know, you got to do it last time. Dad always did like you best, right? That's a good start to teach your children that way. But you know what has to happen? The day must come. That that child takes substance from his own personal stash and gives to the Lord. His apportionment, not his dad's, his apportionment. It is actually the diminishing of what we hold that to some degree constitutes the act of worship. My level was here. I'm worshiping God. I'm making an offering. My level is now here. Abel felt that diminishing, didn't he? Before he offered to God, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. After he offers to God, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, oh yeah, eight's gone, right? Abel felt that diminishing more than Cain did. To some degree, maybe Cain felt it as well. I mean, don't have as much produce to do either eat it myself or do something else with. But this is also what David understood when surrendering the money for the building of the altar. And I think we need to also understand this principle and practice it as well. It is sometimes what we struggle with the most, <clears throat> letting go of it. I won't have that to do this with. No, but you have that to do 
this with the service of God, the honoring of Him. Ultimately, the bringing of an offering to the Lord must begin with making an offering of ourselves. All these other things that we've talked about, to have the right mindset to get to this place, you can't just say, okay, I'm going to do those things. I'm just going to try harder at it. No, we've got to go back even more basic than that. And so in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, another passage of Scripture that talks about offering. Here Paul is emphasizing the wonderful giving spirit of some believers in the region of Macedonia. He used these Christians to teach those who lived in Corinth about bringing an offering. It's not like he's bragging about them, but he says, hey, they set a great example. Let me tell you about these Macedonian people. It's not that they are wealthy and rich. They really weren't. Actually, they, they gave out of their poverty. But monetarily, while they did give quite generously, there was more to it than that. And here it is in 2 Corinthians 8.5. Look at it in your Bibles. Paul points out, this they did. They gave that offering. They put money in the plate. Not as we hoped doesn't mean that they were a disappointment. It just simply means my expectations were exceeded. And how were they exceeded? Notice the next phrase. Because they first gave what? Their own selves to the Lord. And unto us by the will of God. There it is, folks. It's, it's not even about the size of your allotment that you diminish. It's not even about, okay, I'm going to try to exercise great faith today. I'm going to extend myself. It starts with how you look at yourself in the eyes of God. You see, once these Macedonians had surrendered their entire life to the Lord, the divine discretion of their substance and finances was also settled. I don't think they really struggled when it came time for Paul saying, there's a need, we're going to take up a special offering. There was probably enthusiasm. Great, we get to give. You see, it's easier to give your substance when you no longer see yourselves as the owner, but simply a manager. And isn't that how we all ought to see ourselves? Remember the widow that made an offering of only a mite. The widow's mite. Our Lord, our Lord pointed her out very favorably to the disciples. Not because of the volume she gave, but because of the value of what she gave. You know, I've often thought, she probably never knew that she was highlighted by Jesus in his earthly ministry until she someday made it into heaven. What? I'm in the Bible? The value was she gave all. Percentage-wise, that's 100%, right? All that she had. Can we assume that she had already surrendered herself to the Lord because she took such a step of faith? I don't see how she would take such a step if she hadn't already surrendered her entire self to the Lord. 
Lastly, in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 5, where Brother Jim read for us today, how that the modern worshiper is not coming to a temple made of granite stones. Peter's thinking of Herod's temple. It was magnificent. It was, the modern worshiper to us, us today, right? We don't come to that kind of place. We don't come to a place where animals are sacrificed. Where there's the busyness of the Levitical priesthood bustling around, making all this worship happening. None of that is happening. And Peter is even saying it back in his day. Instead, what is going on? Each believer is a lively stone. And we are stacked into an assembly, if you would. An assembly of the church. We're formed up on Jesus, our chief cornerstone. Each believer is a member further of the holy priesthood. We're not only the stones in the temple, we are the individuals, so to speak, that are making the worship happen. We're a holy priesthood because we make our own offerings directly to the Lord. We don't have to take our offering to another person and say, hey, will you give this to God for me? We do it. And these offerings are spiritual sacrifices, not animal, vegetable. God is not looking for spotless lambs today. He's not looking for bullocks, rams, doves, bundles of wheat, loaves of bread, oil, wine to be rendered from us ceremonially. We don't do any of that. They weren't doing that as the church in the first century. What does God look at? God looks for our spiritual sacrifice in the form of praise that is empowered by our relationship with Jesus Christ. You must have that foundational relationship with Jesus Christ that only comes by recognizing I am a sinner. My good deeds are never going to outweigh my sinful actions. I need a Redeemer. I need to put my complete dependence in Christ alone. And as I enter into that relationship that we call being born again, now I'm fitted as a priest, a royal priesthood, part of the royal priesthood, to offer up sacrifice to the Lord myself because of that relationship. Hebrews 13, 15 says this, By Him, referring to Christ, let us offer the sacrifice of praise. So because I have the relationship with Christ, by Christ, by Him, this is what we are called to do. Anchor Baptist Church, let's do it. Let's offer up the sacrifice of praise. How often? To God continually. Well, what is that sacrifice? That is the fruit of our lips giving thanks to His name. We did it as we sang hymns today about being born, being redeemed. We did it if we did it by faith, right? We did it if God was in the forefront of our minds, precious in our hearts. But continually means that tomorrow when I get up and I'm going through my routines, I'm still offering up praise. I don't have to journey to a granite edifice where animals are being sacrificed. 
I do it as I come together with my believers, as God says I need to routinely do, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. But He also, on top of that, wants me to be doing it all the time. Rejoicing in the Lord from the depths of your heart can often be more difficult than writing your offering check. I mean, you can write an offering check. All right, it's, it's that time of the week again. And have no joy in your heart whatsoever. Mark it down, folks. You've got to know that there are people out there that are doing that. Right? What a sad state of affairs. And yet, what God, not that He doesn't want us to give and have that allotment come out of us, that apportionment, He does. But, my child, He says, do it with the right heart attitude. Remember that even the substance we give is supposed to be offered with the right disposition. God loves what kind of giver? A cheerful giver. We should be so enamored with Him that He is intimately attached to every praise of our lips and each dollar that we donate. That's the heart of what He's talking about when He says, bring an offering. So friends, do not neglect this crucial element of our worship of the one true God. Bring an offering. Bring it generously. Bring it abundantly. Bring it in faith. Bring it in self-surrender. Bring it in personal sacrifice. Bring it as one who is surrendered themselves. Bring it with praise on your lips as well as praise in your heart. Anchor Baptist Church. Let's bring an offering to the Lord, shall we? God in heaven, we come to you so thankful that you ask us to participate in the worship of you in this way. And we thank you that we can recognize that all that falls into the confines of our stewardship is not really of our own doing. But Lord, it's what you have preciously entrusted into our hands to manage. You are the owner. So may it be with great joy and delight that we say, Lord, what would you have me to give? What would you have me to do? How much can I give to you? How much can, I, can go out for me? And then to do it by faith and joy knowing that on those kinds of offerings, God has respect. Father, I pray that You would allow us to be stretched, that we might experience the joy that only You can give. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, dear friend, hopefully the theme of today's message has not been one of oppressiveness, you go away saying how liberating what a great truth that God engages me invites me and exhorts me to be part of this this wonderful joyful swirling of him giving to me and me offering back to him into different venues that bring glory to his name and but maybe dear Christian our challenge is in the area of our heart attitude are we doing it by faith? Are we doing it with a liberated spirit? 
excited, jubilant, hilarious, giddy almost, right? If not, maybe we haven't surrendered ourselves. We don't see ourselves in every fiber of our schedule, our being, our future, our choices that lie before us, that that really all is in the grasp of God. And be glad that it is. So we need to begin by first giving and surrendering ourselves like the Macedonians did. And so as we take a moment, this will be a great opportunity for you to allow the Spirit of God to impress upon your heart and for you to surrender to Him. Say, Lord, I've been holding back. I've been trying to manage my own life. I've been trying to dictate certain aspects while I've been engaged in external worship. But you and I both know, God, I'm not surrendered like I need to be. I can see it because my faith isn't there. There's a reluctance there. There's even sometimes some resentment there when I feel you coming knocking on my door and saying, my child, what do you want now, God? Therefore, there's something wrong in how I'm seeing myself and my surrendered spirit to you. Friend, come and just give yourself to God. Everything else be so much easier at that point. But as I mentioned, friend, if you're here today and you say, but I don't know that I've entered into a relationship with Jesus Christ yet. You can do that today. As I mentioned, calling upon Him to forgive you of your sin and to be your Savior is foundational. Would you like to do that today? I hope you would. If you haven't done that, we'd love to help you. In a minute, when Becky begins to play, slip out of your seat. Come to where I'm standing out in front. Be glad to very discreetly partner you with a trained counselor, men with men, ladies with ladies, who will show you from God's Word how you can walk out of here knowing that you are Christ and Christ is yours. You have that relationship. That's where it must begin. Don't just say, well, you know, I don't know about that, but I'll give more. You missed the whole point. You missed the whole point. Allow the Spirit of God to have His way with you today.